0: Hello, hello. This is Chris Jansen. Welcome to the End Evil podcast. The End Evil podcast is dedicated to truth, natural law, freedom, the concepts we all need to recognize and and um, deeply internalize. I was inspired by the book The End of All Evil by Jeremy Locke and I've been greatly inspired by the work of Mark Passio on what on earth is happening.com where I got this shirt from. And I think it's a great thing to check out if you have not. Uh, another person who i found um, really inspiring is a gentleman named Brandon Martin. Brandon Martin's here with me today. Um, we were having a great conversation. He and I both did a similar study of the movie Aliens. We both really liked that movie. And um, we were able to connect with. Hey, welcome. Thanks for coming on the show today, Brandon. Let me see if I can get you on here. Welcome, Brandon. Thanks for coming and joining me on the podcast. I'm so glad to have you here.
1: Yeah, it's an honor to finally get on your show, Chris. I've been watching you progress throughout the years, and I think what you've been doing is amazing, man. You know, I really love that you were inspired by The End of All Evil. That was one of the first books I read that was recommended by Mark. And, you know, it's just such a powerful little book, obviously. And I mean, it's so small. What is it, like 103 pages or something? It's tiny. And you can
0: read it a couple hours, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've read it so many times, and I always recommend it to people. So it's really cool when when you came out with your podcast. I was uh, really inspired because of the title, and I knew exactly what you know it was inspired from. I was like, oh yeah, that's from Jeremy, Love, obviously. So that's really awesome. Um, so yeah, it's a great pleasure to be here with you. And it was kind of synchronistic, you know, that we were working on uh, the the uh, you know. Aliens movie at the same time and that's kind of what we're here to talk about today is to break down the allegory of aliens or as you call it the the evil within you know and uh, I think it was awesome because I was working on an essay and you had put out that video and I didn't even know you had put out the video and my uncle let me know and I was like oh that's cool you know and I watched it and I was like oh this is you know this is what I'm saying too this is really awesome so it it, was you know, so I really love that.
0: Yeah, and the movies, you know, um, I find that movies find are kind of like a, a fun way to deal with some of the subject matter that, that otherwise is difficult subject matter. Um, sometimes feels a little bit repetitive saying the same things over in the same way. And when, and when you look at a movie and use it as an allegory, it offers us this really interesting way to look at a subject or a topic. And tie it in with something kind of fun. And I think you and I both really enjoyed it. I got to say, Aliens is like my all time favorite movie. I know a lot of the lines by heart. You know, I can almost tell someone the whole movie as we're watching it, you know, exactly what's going to happen next. But, um, you know, around that time, what's really interesting is when I was first coming out with my very first presentations and sharing them with the Mark Passio's community was when I was also really looking into your work and I was really inspired by the Seed Conference and I was all planning on going and then we all got shut down by COVID and, you know, it's weird. Here we are like two years later. And it's like kind of like we just met (laughs) after we've both been through this whole crazy experience of um, watching the world go um, a little deeper, deeper into evil. And so, you know, I think it's a really good topic because like um, evil, most people are confused about what the word even means, and so that's, I think, a good place to start. I usually try to do that somewhere in the beginning of the show: is talk about what does evil even mean? What am I talking about here? How can we end it? So I'll let you be the the uh, guy. I'd like to hear you know your take on on what evil means, and is it possible to end it?
1: Right. Uh, yeah, that's Um I would say the way I would define evil. Is the destruction of freedom from a sentient or moral agent. You know, so any form of violent action that, that destroys being's rights or removes those rights or prevents those rights from actually being expressed or manifest into reality. I think evil has been confused with this religious ideology that has to be Tied up with the devil or Satan or these type of archetypal images that we have throughout history, where it, when normally they're all just allegories for a certain psychological behavior or, you know, a physical manifestation of that psychological state of mind. Right. So I think it is important for people to understand evil um, because they they. You know, it's so ambiguous for people in their mind, the definition of evil. It could be one thing or another. They think, you know, um, let, let's find a good example here. They think uh, maybe, you know, it's somewhat like supernatural act. For example, they think it's evil for a storm to come in and destroy their village or something like that. You know, they'll, they'll apply this superstitious, supernatural uh, act from the storm like the tornado coming in and destroy a village and that's evil you know that's like an evil event that has taken place when really it's not you know it's not like the storm or nature was intentionally coming in to personally harm you at that moment so it has to be done through beings with the capacity to understand right and wrong behavior They have to have the capacity to understand their own conscience, have a conscience and to understand objective morality. So, you know, like when we see a a lion taking down a gazelle, is that evil? No, it's not, you know, because they don't have the the discernment or the brain capacity or any other means of living in that in their position of existence um, for them to, you know, not not do those actions. You know, without the, the gazelle, then uh, it would not be able to survive. It can't plant gardens. It can't uh, create technologies that can help it develop, you know, better sophisticated means of agriculture or anything like this. Um, so that's not an evil act, you know, but people would look at that as an evil act. So I would say it has to be a human being or a being, you know, higher in consciousness or physical manifestation that understands the expressions of liberty being the difference between what rights are and what they are not. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the simplest way of putting it, the destroyer.
0: Love it. That's the you know definition I, I use um, every episode. And I really like that you brought up the other aspect too, which I try to bring up, you know, a volcano blows up, you know, that's not evil. That's not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about evil, that's for sure, you know. So, we're all on the same page. It's for all intents and purposes things that humans do to one another. You know, it's <laughs> lying, it's different forms of stealing. It's, it's, um, that's the real law, you know? And so, that's, that's, um, once we got that out of the way, um, I think we should just go ahead and dig a little bit into our favorite movie and, and see how, um, see how it goes using that as an allegory. Um, uh, my idea when I looked at the movie Aliens was thinking of the alien itself as sort of embodying the evil. And then you think about the aspects of the way the evil gets into other people and sort of spreads in a way from one person to another. And then once it gets inside somebody, it becomes this thing that comes out and starts messing up other people, too. And isn't that the way it works when people lie from one another or steal from one another? You know, it creates this abomination of problems that just keeps growing and growing until someone stops doing the wrong and ends the evil, you know? And so to me, it's, it's a pretty good start right there allegorically. And um, so, yeah, I loved looking over um, Brandon wrote up a really beautiful, um, his old allegory breakdown of the occult um, aspects of this movie. And you can find that on one great network.com backslash Brandon Martin. And I'll include the link here. So folks can check it out. But once you start us off, um, like in the beginning of the movie, one of the things you pointed out that I never even noticed was even right in the title, the way aliens displayed, there was some interesting um, things going on there. You want to start there? Start us off there, Brandon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I want to go back just a little bit and talk about the idea of evil within the movie. Um, I think that's a great way of explaining just the basic allegory of this entire movie. It's evil. The seeds be of Seeds of evil being programmed into your subconscious, which then, you know, manifest at some level. And usually it starts at a very, very young age, maybe even inside of the womb, you know. Um, and that kind of goes along with this allegory of the film, which we'll expand upon. But uh, yeah, the beginning of the movie, the title, I really love what James Cameron did. So this movie came out in 1986. Uh, it, it had like a seven year uh, work cycle from the last movie so you know they had a lot of problems getting this movie together uh, but once they did actually get moving uh you know james cameron was hired on to be the uh the script writer and what he had done is he adapted um, a, a script that he had earlier on which i didn't talk about in my in my essay and it and i'm going to put it in part two which will be coming out <clears throat> here in the future weeks um, but he adapted a script which is called mother and this and it was interesting because in that script he was talking about aliens on a spaceship with a uh giant suit of armor like a um um, an exoskeleton armor that would fight these aliens which we see in the actual movie but you know he has such i just want to talk about james cameron for a second because he has such a unique way of exploring the aspects of the dark darkness within people and he's really influenced by military logistics so he originally worked on um let's say he worked on like terminator right he he was the director for terminator and terminator 2 so he has all this military uh, understanding he actually worried when he did aliens um so they hired him on the first movie was done by Ridley scott and this movie was done by jamer and so my point is is that he understands military technology and the advancements of technology and he also understands military tactics and the sophistication that goes into with that and we see this in the movies and the way that he directs his movies is very interesting that's why like terminator was such a a mind-boggling revolutionary movie because you know it's talking about transhumanism it's also talking about the nature of evil in a different way and he was working on the terminator movie and uh aliens movie pretty much simultaneously from what i've uh understood but yeah james cameron he used to be a bottle Maker an art director um, you know he came from a very very low level and then he really fought his way up into becoming a director um, and and interesting what the the ironic nature of this is that his script mother this is why I brought that up uh, relates with the original first movie because the first movie the spaceship has the ai which is called mother in it and i wanted to bring that up because this is this is a huge symbolic representation of the female aspect so the whole movie has this emanation of the sacred feminine principle aligning with the sacred masculine principle so right at the beginning um of the movie we have the title which is blue in its color and its aura and the title is aliens obviously and that blue represents sacred feminine you know it represents the sacred feminine aspect of ourselves but it also represents receptiveness so blue makes you receptive to things it makes um be able to take things in uh it can also be a representation of water as well so it correlates Obviously, with the water breaking of the mother, but in the eye of the alien, right, of aliens, the the letter I actually looks like the womb itself. So it has it has light emanating out of it and it's shaped like a womb. And it, as the camera pans in and zooms in on that eye, it's like we're being birthed into this universe, right? So it's like it's a metaphor for us coming into this universe. And obviously, the eye can be uh, symbolic of the third eye as well. And it's a photoreceptor. And it you know dictates and regular circadian cycles. So the light being correlated with that is really important. So there's a lot of symbolism in it. And a lot of people would overlook you know i
0: just thought of brandon which is a trick which you know aliens is a lie you know the word lies in there and i was just joking how we're talking about the evil inside and a lie ends (laughs) just who knows that was there one of those green language things anyway go ahead
1: no that's great that's a perfect green language and that is what we're talking about you know so the whole movie has a um um you know, this reference of birthing, right? It, it has a lot to do with the birth process. It has a lot to do with, to do with uh, sexual repression. It has a lot to do with sexual encounters of rape and things like that. And we'll expand upon that a little bit more. But yeah, I, I really love that you just brought that up because I thought about that when I was writing it and I never did add that into the uh, the essay that i wrote and i was like yeah that might be a little too too much for people to understand but for your audience i'm sure they'll understand it you know um so i really like that the way that he did the introduction into that because you you don't really see that too often a lot of people would just overlook that that's a womb shape you know the eye is it has light in it it represents the third eye but it also represents the connection to the the below as above, so below connection and the bodily autonomy, you know, and anatomy, I mean. And then you're birthing yourself into this new story, right? So you're coming in and where do you come into? You come into the universe and that's what we come into in the first, which is we're being birthed into the universe as a masculine principle. We see the ship, right? We see this ship floating through space and this ship is a, a phallic shaped ship and um it's named narcissus which i'll explain in a moment uh which is a male greek mythological character and um You know, spaceships and rockets and all these things are phallic in their nature. They're all about peeing or launching or lifting. You know, they're all this idea of uh, projection, docking. Right. And we see this throughout the movie. Some of it's not intentionally sexual, but it is psychologically there. You know, the symbolism there. So when a ship docks with another ship, you know, you have a port that it hooks up to and that port represents the sacred feminine, right? So, and then you have people, the seamen, the, you know, people inside the ship go from one place to another, obviously, you know? So it's very alchemical and it's very, I mean, some could say it's very Freudian, you know? Um, Definitely you could have some Freudian psychology being manifested there, you know? So I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's a really good spot to start off with. Uh, Another thing I would like to say is that, you know, I study cinema a lot. I study cinema language and cinema um, technique, right, and cinema expression. So cinema language is the idea of being able to express and convey ideas um, and, and invoke certain emotions within from the symbolism and from the ideas and from the scenes in the movie so how can you get that done right how can you subliminally uh and subtly bring out some emotions from an individual with the camera work with the sound with the uh attires the aesthetics you know with all the visual concepts of the story and so the whole the whole movie really has a great score behind it. It has this military drum beat that comes in, you know when you got the yeah, yeah, I really love you no know, amazing That's James day period. on the farm <laughs>
0: right, right, so if you think about the it's the like a day on the farm, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love the quotes in there, you know.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Though he did a good job with um, that whole military thing and bringing that feeling. It, it felt pretty real, especially in the beginning. You know what I'm curious about, though, in, in the first scene um, when they're cutting through into the ship that um, mm. that Sigourney Weaver's on, is that part of the extended cut, or was that in the original version when they they show the scavengers um, discovering her ship floating in space? Is that was that in both versions?
1: Yeah, I do believe it was I'm in a little both confused versions about that yeah i'm pretty sure just recently i
0: watched the you know i bought the extended one and i'm like was that in the one i always watch i kind of didn't remember the beginning so well but that's you know right there in the beginning is some pretty symbolic thing as they're coming into that ship right
1: absolutely oh theatrical version for a while so um i can't say that for sure but i do vague vaguely remember that that was of it i know that they had to find her you know they find her and awaken her out of the coffin uh so yeah the cutting to me the cutting of the door and opening the ship because a ship can also like i said it's it's masculine but it also can represent a container which holds something within it so it'd be feminine you know the yin and the yang have a little bit of both with within each other right so the masculine can be uh, it's not all 100% masculine. There's a little bit of femininity there as well, right? So we we have to understand that the ship can represent a female body. And then it kind of reminded me of a C section. I don't think that's intentional, but that was what I pulled out of it was like somebody cutting a and then, you know, pulling out the individual. So Sigoni Weaver, whose name is um, Ellen Ripley, uh, which is interesting because the name is l so you're in l right so that's uh, l means god and uh, so she's sleeping in this ship she's been in a hyperbolic like deep sleep uh for 57 years i believe and you know the ship has all the it's all frozen because it's been cold and there's all the looks like space in the way from the, the glistering effect of all the ice particles everywhere on, on the surfaces of everything. So it kind of has this mirroring effect between the stars and space and then within the ship as well. And she's sleeping in this coffin. And in the movie, later on, which i'm sure you're familiar with they call her sleeping beauty or they call her snow white is what they call it and that's a reference to sleeping beauty and then if you look up Sleeping beauty you'll find out that that's inspired by the greek mythological tale of Narcissus and his competition with uh with nemesis and so it's really interesting because you know she's sleeping beauty she's in the glass coffin you know she's uh she has to be awakened by a masculine figure at some point you there's, it's men who come in there. So I, I find that kind of interesting. And that's that's definitely intentionally done. You know, like even with the reference of Snow White, you know, it's like that's not not intentional. And, and know, that, that intentional.
0: cutting torch tool that was used to make its way into her, it's kind of floating its way. And it definitely, <laughs> definitely <laughs> looks like a penis. I'm not even going to say phallic. That thing, you know, I think it's hard yeah. to believe that was a purposeful <laughs>
1: Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so It's wild, you know, and you start opening your mind and you start seeing these things. Um, so, yeah, the scavengers walk in, right? They're like in these, they look like um, chemical protection suits, like you're going into a, into a, uh, they're space suits, obviously, but they kind of look like they're biohazard suits. In a way. And this is most likely be- because the movie was done like on a dollar budget, which was really, really small because James Cameron he uh, he was fighting to get this movie done, and Fox didn't want to give him thirty-five million. They like, got settled for fifteen, and which was actually better because he got special effects, which were more realistic in the film. And I'll talk about that in a bit. But they come in and they got the symbol of power, right? It's a power symbol, which we we often find on their vests, and it has right the there. circle, right? Right. Yep, and it has the circle at the top, the crescent at the top with the phallic in the, in the middle, you know, so it represents the sacred feminine womb. And that's our symbol. You find it on all kinds of devices, your electronic devices, when you look at them, you know, it's all over the place. But I, I felt that was kind of interesting um, when I found that. So you'll definitely hear a lot about this, this, um, the symbolism of sacred masculine and sacred feminine going on within this movie, you know? And uh, so there's, there's very, very deep, profound symbolism in James Cameron's work obviously you look at Terminator it's mind-boggling to me uh like you said earlier this is one of your favorite movies this was one of my favorite movies as a kid too I loved it and I thought back and I was like why did I love this one so much and I I feel because you know of the military approach to it it really gave me a sense of and you know it's kind of a sense of empowerment for a for a male you know because the first movie scared the crap out of me All right. The first movie was terrifying to me. I could barely hand watching it. But the second movie, I was like, oh, yeah, these guys are these Marines are marching in with these guns and, you know, we're taking out and it's all action, you know, but it's still scary in a way. But you feel more empowered. Um, So I think that's one of the reasons why I was more attracted to this movie as a child, because I was into the, uh, you know, to to. This masculine principle of sacred self-defense, you know, the sacred masculine principle of self-defense. So I think that's interesting. I'm not sure what you why I you attracted to for it.
0: For me, that that powerful woman archetype really stuck mm. out. And, you know, when I started talking about this movie, that's what really pops out. And now that you say it, Terminator's is the same thing where the lead role is this super powerful woman that, Absolutely. you know, she's making most of the men in the movie look look pretty, um, you know, cowardly compared to her because she's so she's so brave and Sigourney right. Weaver you know I was I found myself one of the first women I really kind of found myself being attracted to as a young man like I want a woman like that that chick's tough, you know me too Through the <laughs> alien right now the airlock man
1: yeah you no know? I was super super attracted to Sigourney Weaver as a kid and yeah. I even um you know I would look for females that would you know similar archetype as Sigourney Weaver you know because she is she's a super strong feminine example of empowered female in in society she's realistic and that's something we can talk about real quick is like you know we see all these feminist movies or feminist characters lead roles in in all these movies nowadays and a lot of them are not believable to me you know like they're just they're not really believable and i think they need to take a tip from this movie specifically or maybe even terminator you know because they've lost out on the realism that really attracts men. I, you know, it's weird because it's a, it's a movie, it's an action movie with a female lead. Obviously, I've never heard one man ever complain about it. They've always loved it, right? They've always loved Aliens. They've always loved even Alien. You know, they've always loved Sigourney Weaver in that position. It's because of the way that the story uh, of her character develops and the way that she she. An authentic female archetype. You know, she's a good role model, right? Don't my dogs? They're out there playing around. So um,
0: they like they like Sigourney too.
1: Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. So she's a great. She's. Let me read some some stuff that I wrote down here about her. Um, let's see here. I got a couple things here. She has authentic leadership. So in the movie, we see her t- uh, taking charge. We see her um kind of we have these we have the marines in the movie that come in right and a lot of them are really just idiots right the leader gordon is an absolute idiot right he's the head commander dude and he's just completely gorman. incompetent yeah gorman yeah that's his name gorman he's absolutely incompetent right so she knows how to take leadership when it's required you know she knows how to step up into that position when when it's necessary in those times of desperation you know another thing i really liked about it is that she lives in the real you know she lives um in realism she's not like trying to sugarcoat everything she's not trying to everybody else everybody else she's not trying to take the victim mentality this is what's happening we need to deal with it right now you know and you see that dialogue between her and hudson take place later in the movie where he's you know going nuts and complaining about like what are we gonna do i can't remember the the line he's freaking out and you know she puts him in his place right Yeah, yeah yeah she puts him place because she's in the real right, right? right solutions too like she steps so we're gonna up get
0: in. up on the ship and we're gonna nuke the whole thing from space right yeah Absolutely. that's what we should do what she said
1: right so it's so funny you know um yeah, yeah. we don't find that in, in modern movies oh sorry about my camera there i okay. dropped that for a second but uh, um but yeah uh you know we don't find well, that in modern movies he's doing that
0: movies. he's it almost seems purposeful because there's this comparison between, like you're saying, the the um, inauthentic males. You got Gorman, the the ineffective leader who doesn't have experience and he's not a good leader. He's everything a good leader shouldn't be. He's dishonest. And then you got even worse dishonesty level with Burke. You know, the guy she meets when she first comes out of her sleep. And he's like the typical yes man, the corporate man, the man who's wearing the tie, the man who sold his soul to the, to the man. Right. And he's the yeah. yes man. And so he's like the most terrible, despicable kind of man who acts like he's a nice guy, but really he's he's a total coward and he's a shit. And in the end, you see him die because of his own cowardice. And um, you know, it's almost like the director's doing this on purpose to show you this, you know, this this crazy difference between what is a what is a real man and what is a real woman. You know, what is a real female? Uh, symbol that we want to appreciate. And it, it it's kind of like that same underdog thing that we all appreciate. We like seeing an underdog come from the bottom and get to the top. And in our society, typically males, have I mean, females have been put down in so many ways. I think it was good for a lot of us to see this tough, strong female. But um, I wanted to go back to the beginning a little bit, because something you were saying got me kind of excited about this idea of awakening. Like one of my other all time favorite movies is The Matrix. You mm-hmm. know, obviously why? Right. But you have this theme of this awakening process, right? And we talk about this in our podcasts and in the, you know, um, becoming an initiate in learning about the occult. There's this awakening process, um, the problems we have in the world, awakening to the problems in the world. In the beginning of Aliens, it's like this dream within a dream situation where you got um, first, you know, um, Ripley's waking up on the on the ship where she stayed last time and then she's waking up in the hospital from waking up in the ship. And then you realize she's inside of a dream, waking up from a dream inside of the dream inside of the, you know, and it's like this triple, almost a triple quadruple dream inside of a dream type situation. And that's very symbolic and very much a part of the experience we have as truth speakers and as people that come to realize, um, the tenants are, are, um, the deeper truths about reality, such as natural law or hermetics, where we really start to see through the facade into this other story. And then beyond that, there's another layer. So um, what does that strike within you?
1: Yeah, I think you nailed it. It's very astute of you to bring out and and bring up. Uh, It's an unfolding process, right? So we're always constantly unfolding the layers of understanding and awakening. And that's why I, I really do like that in in all three movies, you know, Alien, Aliens, and Alien Three, uh, you have her awakening at each movie at the beginning, and you have that in The Matrix, and you have that in other movies as well, right? So it is that unfolding process. It's like a fractal unfolding nature of understanding the mysteries of of yourself and in which you operate in. And uh, I really like the way you explained that because it is it is a dream within a dream, right? And it gives us the viewer when we first, you know, watch this, you know, getting identified with Ripley. And if you watch the other movie, you're like, oh yeah, I know. I know who this character is. You know, she's going to be the main character through this. And then we get this kind of uh, subverting of our expectation because when she wakes up in the hospital, <clears throat> she has the alien in her dream and in her. And it, you know, starts to puncture out and she freaks out and she goes through the, it's uh, trauma within her dream. It's this nightmare. But we as viewers don't know that. At first, we think this is actually going on when you first watched it. You know, you're like, "Oh man, she's gonna die right at the beginning of the film." So it's a way for the director to subvert things, and then it, you know, you realize we're actually in a dream. You know, so it's kind of interesting, especially when you apply that to your own consciousness about how. You know, when you start to unravel your inner traumas, right, and you realize that all these traumas you have are actually from the past, most of them, like the ones that have been, you know, pushed down into your subconscious, And uh, most of them, I'm not talking about the current system of government oppressing you now, but I'm talking about like childhood traumas or, or parental issues or abandonment issues or things like this. And you realize that none of that is actually happening to you right now. Those things are not happening to you right now. But you can almost experience it like it is happening to you right now because of how our minds work. You can bring up the emotions almost instantly like it's happening to you right now. So that's a big thing. You know, I think, uh, I think that's kind of, uh, uh you know, pointing at what you were talking about um, with the, un- the unfolding, but within the self, you know, you, you unfold within yourself as well as in the external world. So I think that's a really interesting thing. I think my camera froze again.
0: Yeah, that's okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, um, maybe when I do a little bit of editing, I can put a couple of clips um, of pictures from the movies and stuff. Um, you know, that alien coming out of the stomach, you know, it's like, you know, it's so um, visceral, it sticks in your mind so much, right? And, and you pointed out in that first scene, there's this really interesting thing where, you know, g- generally like in the first movie and when alien comes out of the chest, it pretty much comes right out of the chest, right? And then in, in that scene, where she's laying there, it's almost coming more like out of her stomach. And, and it right. seems almost like it's her, which is partly foreshadowing because we find out in the later movie that she wasn't pregnant all along, right? But um, in that scene, it almost makes you wonder if this emerging and this birthing, you're talking about whether the director maybe was highlighting this idea of the birthing process and emerging into the new self, you know, type of thing.
1: I definitely think so and I also think and I mean Cameron actually points it out himself he says in a quote I think some people miss the point they think she uh, she goes to you know um the planet to fight these aliens uh because she'll get her job back but that's not the case there's no amount of money that can do that for her uh one of the biggest problems one of his biggest problems in writing the film Uh, was coming up with a reason why she goes back to fight the alien. And it had to be a psychological reason for her. One of the things that interested me, as in Cameron, is that there was a lot of soldiers from Vietnam who had been in intense combat situations who re-enlisted to go back again because they had psychological problems that they had to work out, uh, like an inner demon to be exercised, right? So this is the inner evil that's been planted in us as well. And it's a good metaphor for a character. So he's developing the character because that that is the inner evil. She's went through this traumatic experience from the previous movie. And a lot of times when people go through trauma, they can identify with the evil and then it will re-manifest, you know, and it will take over their entire life. They'll either identify with the abuser or the victim. Right. So for her, she doesn't really do either. You know, she struggles with it at the beginning of this film, but her going back to fight these aliens is her to the allegorically and metaphorically conquering this inner trauma, this PTSD that she has from dealing with evil before. So we have to think of that in our own society like we've dealt with these evils before we've dealt with you know, tyrannical governments, dictatorships, you know, we've dealt with all these things before. Yes, it's more complex now and the technology has advanced and it's more um, uh, prevalent and widespread than it ever has been. But we've fought these things before and we have to face our fear, you know, we have to face our fear to conquer the evil. And I think that's one of the allegories of the movie is to face your trauma, to face the inner turmoil so that you can go and do something about what's going on, you know? So I, and I really liked what Cameron said about that. Because it's also character development. You can't expect to make a good sequel and just repeat the same thing that happened before. You got to show character development. You got to Yeah, a lot of, and a lot of them works.
0: try. It never works.
1: <laughs> right, right. It gets so repetitive. And it's like, you got to have, you know, Ellen Ripley expand and grow. So the psychological aspect, that's why I'm really interested in that, because he he knows that and he's bringing it to the forefront. Like, hey, this is this is what's going on. You know, my
0: my other takeaway on that, um, I really like the way you pointed that out, because that that is a good point. Um, The other aspect that that pointed out that popped out for me on her decision, I like how you're saying face your demon like that's a necessary part when we have something going on inside of us in this real world until you face it. Um, you never really deal with it. You have to face it head on, no matter how ugly it is, right? But then there was this other thing of the what I, what I think of as this connection to the care principle where we think about others outside of ourselves. And part of what made her such a good hero, heroine, was the fact that as soon as she kind of comes to awake, yeah, I've been out 57 years, and, and Burke's talking about the situation. She says, wait a second, there's terraformers on the planet? Families? Did you say families? Yes, families of terraformers living on the planet. And that for her, you know, she's right away really pissed off about that. What do you mean there's families there? You know, and that becomes part of her, um, I think, you know, maybe part of how he designed her um, decision to go back because these people needed help, Would she have wanted to if it was just the Marines going, maybe not. But the fact that there were families there and then obviously we know the rest of the story, she makes the connection with Newt kind of the symbol of her long lost daughter later, but that was her caring about more than just herself, you know, and and I think maybe that was why he threw that in. But if not, it's a good, um, it's still a good allegorical thing to think about. It's one thing how most of the Marines or most of the characters in these stories are just thinking about what's best for themselves. But someone like Ellen um, Ripley was thinking about all these other people and these families, you know.
1: Yeah, I think you're dead on with that. I love that scene. It gives you enough information to know what's going on, um, like where the movie might go, and it foreshadows what's going to happen in the future. And the allegory of that is, is true care. And like you said, we see her develop and express dynamic of care as a mother figure. She's a very powerful mother, conscious parent, you know, and she did have a child before, but she had braided from her child for 57 years. Her child had already died. And you only kind of get that information in the uh, director's cut of that. Um, But yeah, she had a child and her child grew old and died and uh, made a game based on child in isolation and kind of followed uh, her story, which was interesting. But yeah, it's her motherhood instincts. And she's trying also, you know, to make up for that as well right Psychologically, like she's trying to make up for uh the lack of her being present for her own child when she comes to newt you know so when she finds newt she's like i i was supposed to be here for my mother or my, for my child and i wasn't a good mother for my child because i was you know because of these things that happened in my past um whether they were choice or not, she still feels some type of little, little bit of guilt for that. Right. Cause a lot of people do doesn't mean she's actually guilty for that. Cause it wasn't really her, her, uh, her doing, but, um, cause obviously it was, it was an accident that she was floating in space for 57 years, but, um, she she's ready to implement that motherhood instinct. And that's why she's so powerful and she's so realistic. She, she dresses Casually, she doesn't dress in these skimpy clothes or anything like that. She's not an unrealistic looking girl. She doesn't have these busty boobs and her, you know, her ass lifted or anything like this, but she sett- looks good, you know. She's not um, unrealistic and she looks like a, a female that you could settle down with, you know. She looks like a, a girl that you would want to actually have a life with it in a way, right? And it's really important to understand about her her develop her character design and so i don't think it could have been done a, like today if they would have done ellen ripley they would have heard super hot supermodel you know kick-ass girl that has superpowers or whatever and it's like tomb raider
0: she'd have lips lips as yeah. big as sausages
1: <laughs> right right yeah so she has believable attributes you know she has believable attributes yeah no that's She's a not good point human, yeah you know um, uh, she has uh ingenuity right she has these creative in you know aspects of herself to deal with problems like i was saying earlier um but yeah so she goes into. you were talking about that scene with burke she goes into the business room with all the corporate heads of uh Utani, and uh and it's you know it's mostly men but there's female ceos there and stuff like that out of them believer and it shows the crony capitalistic like corporatism going on right it shows that the government and corporations are in bed with each other to that degree you know that they control pretty much everything hierarchy and they are completely cold they are psychopathic they don't they do not take her seriously whatsoever it's like us trying to come out and say government is slavery like look at all the this evidence and i'll show you the evidence and they're like no we don't see evidence of that you know no way no but behind the scenes burke who works for the company is the company man he's he's being you know i think personally he's probably being um um you know to get these aliens i don't I think it's just his selfish you know goal to do oh, that yeah. I think it's coming
0: from- a directive it was in the first one too like it was part of the right. directive written in mother was you yep. were supposed to bring back the species right and That's what is right. that for ultimately it's always for the same thing for military strength we want the power that these aliens have you know so we can use this power for our own power and then the other thing they show there they're completely heartless talk about this cold thing and it's like also, um, what, what I've heard called the um, uh, technological or, um, you know, people that are trying to get away from the natural human living things and get into, um, you know, technology and computers and, you know, their technotronic agenda, right? It's one of the right, things that right. people have called that. Well, these guys, they're they're all upset. They're having her tell the story. And she's saying, my whole crew died here. My whole crew, you know? All these people died and they could give a shit about who died. They're only concerned with the cost of the of the ship.
1: Of the ship. You know, they're, yeah. they're saying, Well, you just
0: <laughs> blew up you just blew up a really expensive piece of equipment. And she's like, Yeah, you know, ten or twelve people died. And they're like, Yeah, but that was expensive. You know, it's like yeah, right. It, it's like you can see, like you're saying, that psychopathic element, and they're this whole movie's doing that. It's it's talking yep. about the technic techno I'm having kind of trouble with that word, the technotronic technocratic agenda to move people into this cyber age where we're connected to humans. I mean, where humans are connected to robots, which was kind of weird that Ripley winds up in the robot machine fighting the alien. Maybe that's part of that. Right. right. You know? Um, Yeah. I think that's an, you also see throughout this movie is natural versus unnatural. But, but I'm curious your take on the aliens. I want to talk a little bit about the aliens and the okay. Avengers and, and yeah. how that hits you. Uh,
1: yeah, Um. when I was a kid. The aliens, I know we're jumping
0: around a little bit. There's so much. You no. Know,
1: yeah, there's so much to the movie. I mean, I'd hate to chronologically just go through it on a podcast anyways, because then it's like it's like you might as well just watch the movie and come to my house and I'll just sit down and tell you everything. <laughs> so,
0: you know, <laughs> yeah, maybe we should do that one night just play the movie and chat. Yeah. Be fun. yeah,
1: that would be funny. That'd be cool. A little review or something. Watch party. Um, watch party. Yep. That's not a bad idea. Um, but yeah, the aliens, the design of the aliens are amazing. I've never seen such a unique design of a, uh, uh, you know, a a horror creature or a a creature that is in the realms of horror movies, right? Like we do have like some really unique designs, obviously, but aliens, the the alien stands out so much. Even today, I don't see anything that comes close to the design. And it was designed by a couple people, but mainly it was designed by H.R. Giger. And H.R. Giger's work is amazing. I I think of H.R. Giger as the dark side of alex gray's work okay so think alex gray do you know who, who he is he's the guy who, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 so think of alex gray with his spiritual bright color fractal sacred geometrical designs and you think of that completely inverted and then you have this dark psychological you know artistic uh, manifestation from h.r giger and he's doing stuff it's like you know, it's all sexual stuff. You know, the, the head of the alien looks like a big penis, you know, it's shaped like a big penis. And then the tongue of the alien that comes out is a, um, hold on a second. I'll come back. Um, so the tongue of the alien that shoots out is also representative of, uh, of uh, like lizard tongues or like, You know serpents and how their tongues are quick or like a frog catching you know catching um uh, a fly or something like that but it's also snake-like right so it's like a snake it it shoots out and it it strikes right it strikes at the people and it's also phallic right it's a phallic symbol it's a penis shooting out of the mouth you know and h.r. giger was not one to hide any of this if you leave his art if you buy the alien book that he he put out there it's like there's you know, penises and vaginas and, you know, like all this stuff all over the place with uh, w- within his art, you know? Um, so it's really crazy. Like there's one picture of an alien holding its tail and it looks like a giant, you know, penis. And so there's this whole sexual thing within the alien design. But the way it looks, is kind of like, it plays off of our fear of like insects and reptiles and things like that in our subconscious right so things that we don't quite completely understand in nature so it has this exoskeleton like an insect would you know so it has this bony type of you know almost almost uh unnatural looking skeleton to it so when we look at like um insects we see that and it's creepy right it, it kind of throws you off a little bit at least as a kid or or in your, your young Days it's like wow, and we see a lot of design based off of this in in horror flicks or like thrillers or uh, sci-fi movies, right? We see a lot of things mimicking, uh, you know, the serpents and the, the insect, and the serpents is easy to because the serpents represent low baseness, obviously, right? So the reptile is a representation of low base consciousness, but it also correlates to the R complex of the brain, the reptilian part of the brain, and so the in the first movie the android actually says a pleasurable way like he says something to the to the effect that uh their being has no conscience it has no morals you know it does not care it's absolutely cold and what he's explaining is a psychopath you know he's literally explaining a psychopath someone who does not care who can hide in the shadows who can be hypnotic who can um you know blend in with its environment because in this whole movie the whole idea of the alien has this kind of chameleon effect where it can blend into the environment to such a degree that you you know until it's actually looking at you right or like in your face or whatever so you see that in the set design so in the sets the backgrounds and everything are designed specifically so the alien can hide on the walls or in the crevices or anything like that. And that's that idea that a psychopath can be right next to you. And you don't know, you know, you have no idea. It could be the person who you just met could be a guy that, you know, for 20 years, you know, you have no idea. They're so good at mimicking being a, a, a actual emotional being, being an empathetic being that it's hard to distinguish, you know, until you actually see them doing the thing, you know, you're like, oh, wow, you know, you're torturing animals, you're raping people, you're in child trafficking, whatever it might be, you know, you're uh, doing ritualistic sacrifices, you know, so it's like, that's how I kind of look at that. But I love the alien design, you know, it's, um, and, and another thing that H.R. Giger did was apply like this technological aspect to it, so it's not just sexual. He in his art he has this idea of biomechanics, where the beings are are contorted and merged together with machines, where you can't tell the difference between the two. You know, so it's really interesting. So it's kind of this transhumanistic idea, but it's kind of, to me, it's implying that. The, the lower based consciousness will completely merge with machine at that level because machines are cold, mechanical, calculating. You know, they uh, they don't really care about human life. You know, there is no care there. There's no higher levels of empathy. There's no higher levels of thinking from the neocortex or the limbic system of the brain. The limbic system of the brain. so um, yeah, I think that's a really good allegory and metaphor. Thanks. that
0: transhumanism how... was the term I was really trying to come up with. You nailed it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. The theme. There. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that really sticks out for me on that was those. Um, the design of the aliens is their their method of attack, you know, where they they um, you know, it's every time when people discover them, they seem very innocent. Right. On the surface, everything seems fine. It just looks like this room full of eggs. Right. And then all of a sudden. You know, someone comes back to the ship and they got this thing stuck on their face. Right. Well, you know. When we do some wrongs, like a lie is a good example. The first time someone tells a lie, it's kind of a subtle thing. It can almost be missed, you know, but then, you know, you you keep going with that lie and it grows into a a bigger and bigger problem right inside of you. It comes out. You can't hide it. Eventually it eventually it pops out. The evil comes out of you. So it's almost right. to me, their design itself and the way they go about um, capturing people. And then like when they realize in the movie, they're not dead yet. You know, their they're, 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 um, life signs are weak, but they're still alive, right? Because aliens don't kill you right away. They just take you back. And at this point, you're like a slave. You're like a zombie, right? They own you. Yeah. And, and you're becoming them. You're actually their castle now. And so that's kind of like the evil in our society where... You know, you become a minion of the government or you decide to let your soul die and become a soul dyer. You know, you give up yourself to this evil entity, which is happy to just take you over and grow its own children inside of you and use you as a shell. And you're just a zombie slave, you know? Wow. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's, that's dead on. That is absolutely dead on, Chris. You know, I love. Right. See, that's why I loved what you put out there because you, the, uh, the, the importance of the allegory within the idea of the evil within, you know? So, uh, um, I mean, I, I don't think it could be any more blunt, you know, that it is talking about, uh, an evil that's coming from within each of us that can be planted into individuals, you know, so easily and so innocently, like, you know? so yeah i really love uh, that breakdown
0: that you just gave and then how dangerous it is too right like how quickly it gets out of hand right and that's that's the truth of it too you know things things really go south quick once people start doing the wrong thing
1: (laughs) yeah it spreads and multiplies like wildfire you know it goes nuts it's a it's a a mind virus you know but it, it is interesting i was just thinking about this it is interesting that the the being gets planted in the stomach right in the guts, where the courage is, and it's like the death of courage in a way, because it bursts out of your guts and and you know in your stomach area. So, I don't know. I just thought of that. You like, lose I, your I think, guts. Yeah, you lose your guts. You know, you lose your ability to do lose what your is will. right. Yeah, you lose your will. You be, you literally become a slave to it. You know. um So yeah, I mean, I think I got some notes here on on the uh, the design as well yeah i do i i really like um the baby alien when it hatches uh, since we're talking about that and it and it and it busts through the chest burster right um which usually is the chest rather than the stomach but we do see at some levels this bursting of the stomach sometimes and at the beginning you see it like coming out of the stomach a little bit but the teeth on the alien right if you go back to the first movie or you can look at it in this movie too Um, The teeth on all the aliens are metal. They're metallic, right? So I felt that that was kind of interesting because it gives us the idea of something unnatural as well because you don't ever see that in nature, right? You don't see a being with metallic teeth unless you're talking about like Jaws from uh, James Bond or whatever, you know, (laughs) where he has the big metallic teeth, right? Um, So that's kind of like what HR. Yeah, natural. Right. I mean, I guess you do see some people with implants with metal teeth nowadays. Right. But um, yeah, it's not a natural thing. Again, not and,
0: natural. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, right yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, and the aliens obviously have this whole thing about pre- being a predator. Right. So, but it's also a sexual predator. So the the uh, face huggers. Right. So they happen to sexually rape an individual. Because they jump, they restrain you, they uh, probably paralyze you in some way. They choke you out and they supposedly, if you look into it, they have some kind of secretion you stick the, that yeah they thing stick down here. the you know, stick the throat and that's an oral rape. you know and you get imple- impregnated, you know, And it doesn't matter if you're male or female. So it kind of has this weird kind of uh, trans organ thing going on. Um, so it's, it's really strange, you know, with that, but the, the face hugger itself is like a spider, you know, it has eight, eight legs it has like a tail or a serpent's tail. Right. And then if you, you look at the bottom of it, where the, where the tube comes out, um, it looks like a vagina, you know, and then it's a tube coming out, you know, so it's kind of trans transsexual in a way it has both sexes there, you know, or um androgynous or you could call it androgynous if you wanted to call it that way so i thought that was kind of interesting that you have this queen with these creatures as well i think that's kind of you know kind of symbolic in a way obviously
0: yeah, yeah well we see that same you know theme happening in the happening public in section, world you know, where this whole trans thing is being pushed like an agenda you know
1: yeah yeah absolutely uh another thing i liked about the design of the aliens is it has no eyes right and that's also to give you this idea that it's not of this not of nature because we always look at things with eyes and we are connected to them there's a there's a intimate relationship between beings that connect through visual stimuli so when they designed it, first, H.R. Giger did have like alien bug guys on it, these big, big black gulages. but he decided to take them off and just make it black like like a, a, a cap all the way back. And there are eyes underneath that cap, but you can't see them. And the point of that is that you can't see the eyes of you can't look into the whites of your eyes of your enemy or anything like that, you know? And what it does is it creates this uninction with you because you can't you can't relate that being there is no relating thing because it's so so separate from you that it is you know just completely um, lost all of its humanity pretty much you know, you know it doesn't have a humanoid it does have a um, a humanoid body but the face we 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 rely upon the face a lot you know especially the eyes so i really like that because it gives you this sense of uh, terror you know, because you can't you can't look into the eyes of this being. And it's and to me, it's like when you look into the eyes of a uh, a psychopath or, you know, dark occultist or somebody like this, um, they're just black. There's absent. They're, it's like there's nothing there. You know, it's like they don't have eyes, you know. So I think that's kind of a, a little bit of a. Uh, you know, metaphor for that in a way.
0: Yeah, interesting, too, or for me, when um, when I was really working on my original aliens, um, little allegorical presentation was right after the whole pandemic started. And I was really particularly frustrated with the masks. And one of the things I really don't like about people wearing masks is it does just that, like you're describing to people, it makes us like aliens yep. to one another, you know, children can't distinguish facial expressions and this type of thing. And I have, um, I'll have to maybe I'll flash it on the screen for my edit here. The picture I made of all organic masks showing somebody wearing, you know, one of those face huggers. I'm like, hey, there's a good solution. <laughs> just sort of a mean <laughs> so true. a mean joke. But but yeah. you know, it's what it reminded me of when I started seeing this people like you're putting something really dangerous on your face and calling that safe. That's not a good idea, you know? Uh, yeah. It's just silly. But, um, yeah, I That's mean to me, there was there was really correlation. It, it was sticking out too that whole thing of like you know, don't let people on the ship that are um you know contaminated, you know this whole idea of that everybody's contaminated now, we don't know who's contaminated, so everybody's our enemy, you know, and this this same thing that kind of pops up in zombie movies or contagious movies where you know they're trying to convince you of this fear that you don't know who you can trust, anyone could be an alien at any moment. And, you know, that is the same kind of divisive um, Hegelian dialectic stuff we see going on in in the media where they're trying to convince us that everybody's our enemy and that, you know, our neighbor could be the alien, alien could be inside of you, and therefore you shouldn't go to your grandma's house because you might be the disease, you know, you might absolutely, be the, you, know, you know, that's right. You got that right. Yeah. So stay six breeds- feet away from everyone. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this idea of witch hunting, right? And like, like heretic hunting. Right? So you have to, you know, you you're, you, you get all in caught up in this fervor with people, and then you're gonna ostracize everybody who potentially could be that evil. You know, anybody who potentially could have that seed of evil within them without any evidence, without any proof, without any substantial due process or anything like this. Uh, So, everybody's your enemy, and that divides us, right? Everybody is your enemy. If you have that mindset, you're paranoid beyond belief, and it actually creates more division than you could ever imagine. You know, it, it is a direct divide between you and other people. So, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. And I like that correlation to the, the face hugger being the mask, you know, it does look like a, you know, big old, big old mask. So I think that's kind I'll of I'll have funny. to post that
0: picture again. It says, look, yeah. all new organic masks. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's super great. Right. But um, um, yeah, I mean, maybe we can keep going on this aliens thing or do the watch party or make another, um, and another video in the future but um i think we should probably kind of close this up and i want to tell people about where to find all your work and um and where to read i want i want anybody to who's interested in aliens or who's enjoying this conversation go check out one great work network com and brandon martin's work aliens and esoteric allegorical film analysis part one he's working on part two maybe uh Part two will give us another impetus to, to do another um, another breakdown of this. There's so much more to cover. We barely scratched the surface. But um, what else did you want to shout out, Brandon? I'm um, looking forward to your presentation at Funnel 2. And um, yeah, whatever else you want to talk about, Cubby Hole?
1: Um, yeah, you can find my work, like you said, at One Great Work Network. You can also find my work at Truth.com. And I have a presentation coming. Coming out for Funnel 2, which is a great conference uh, called Convergence. Really amazing. Top of the line, top caliber speakers. People should check that out. And yeah, I look forward to coming back on. I think we're, you know, we could probably cover the next half in another hour, you know. So I'm pretty sure we could get that done. That would be awesome to come back on and talk about those topics.
0: Let's do it. Yeah. Excellent. right. Right on. Cool. Well, do you have any other closing comments before we cut out or? Uh,
1: no, i say that's good. Yeah, to be continued. Yeah.
0: Right on. Hey, thanks right so on. much, Brandon. Oh, great, great show. Thanks, folks, for listening. Um, go home and watch Aliens and <laughs> read up. And we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll pick it up. We'll pick it up for part.